I'm Jessica Wilson, and you're listening to Making It Awkward. Thanks so much to those of you who have shown your support for this podcast by joining the Patreon and keeping the project sustainable. Folks can find that information in the show notes. Today's conversation is one of the richest I've had yet. I talk with Tigris Osborne, the executive director of the National Association to Advance Fat Acceptance, about law INT0209 that Stephanie referenced in last week's episode. She gives some ideas for those who want to be involved with banning discrimination based on body size in your cities and states. We also talk about NAFA's decision to partner with Dove on the legislation. I asked Tigris about the anti-fat and pharmaceutical-funded organizations out there that camouflage themselves as advocacy organizations, and she tells me her thoughts about celebrities partnering with Novo Nordisk, including Queen Latifah. We discussed the Ozempic of all and end with fat joy. Like I said, a conversation with so much breadth and depth. A note that we say obesity a bunch of times during this episode, and it's all with air quotes. But first, a shout out to all of the clinicians to divest from IADEP after hearing the episodes about the organization. I appreciate you all. Thanks to the folks like Inspired Nutrition and Mental Health Counseling in Pittsburgh for talking about your decisions on social media and letting others witness that process. It's great when y'all are able to put yourselves out there with the potential for things to get awkward. With that, Let's get into the interview. Tigers, welcome to the show. Hey, I'm so happy to be here. I am ecstatic that you've joined us today. Tell us a bit about yourself. So I'm Tigress Osborne. My pronouns are she, her. I am presently the executive director of NAFA, the National Association to Advance Fat Acceptance. And... We're a civil rights organization that has been around since 1969, doing fat advocacy work and building fat community. And um, and presently, we are also one of the co-founders with our colleagues at Flair, which is the fat legal um, organization of the Campaign for Size Freedom, which works on supporting pending legislation related to um, banning size discrimination, and then also works on changing the narrative around the need for that kind of legal protection and the, you know, and for structural change related to size discrimination. Cool. Yes, I definitely want to get into that. And for folks who missed the episode with the Broadway Body Positivity Project, they totally brought this up. So yes, I'm excited for people to hear more about it. Um, let's dive into the New York law first. And yeah, well, that's probably where they brought it up because yes. uh, Stephanie Lexis, who runs that project, yeah. was one of the folks who testified at the New York City Council. Mm-hmm. Um, so last year, um, in February, there was testimony on a bill brought forward by council member Sean Abreu, at least in this iteration. Um, and uh, that bill was to ban height and weight discrimination in housing, public accommodation, and employment in New York City. Um, and it passed the city council and was signed into law by the mayor and then went into effect um, in November. So we now have, you know, that makes New York the seventh city uh, or municipality. Technically, D.C. DC is not a city, mm-hmm. technically. Mm-hmm. So the seventh municipality in the U.S. to have some kind of law banning size discrimination. And then um, also the state of Michigan has a statewide civil rights law that height, height and weight are included as protected classes in their civil rights law. And then the state of Washington has some protections through a Supreme Court decision. Yeah. So that's it. 
in the whole country. Those are the places. Like it's those uh, those cities are. Let's see, um, Urbana, Illinois, um, Madison, Wisconsin, mm. Washington D.C., Santa Cruz, California, San Francisco, California, mm-hmm. Binghamton, New York, which was the most recent one until New York City passed, okay. and then now New York City. And then there are a bunch of places where that there are some some pending laws that we are hoping to see some movement on this year. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us anything about the process into getting New York City's recent uh, bill? I know there was a lot that I saw on social media and I just want people, yes, really to know if and how in the future they can be doing these things as well. Absolutely. So in New York City, um, the story actually starts with um, then council member, now city comptroller, Brad Lander, who introduced a bill a few years ago. Um, and with great support from Lydia Green, who is a district leader okay. in New York City. Um, and that bill, uh, the bill didn't pass the city council then. I think it just kind of stalled out. And then council member Abreu brought it forward last year or actually introduced it in the summer of 2022. And then it was, you know, voted on last year. Um, but partly because of constituent, you know, feedback and, and Interest and partly because of his just sort of looking around the the city around him and thinking he's very thinking very much about um, intersectional civil rights and like what was missing, mm-hmm. but also partly because he gained some weight during the pandemic and learned firsthand what it's like to have to deal with people's right. dumbass ideas about uh-huh. body size stuff. Um, and so he had a very you know he had a personal investment, but he also mm-hmm. had just the um, you know I think the the political will to to like make sure that he was expanding kinds of civil rights in the city that he was working with folks to expand those civil rights and so we got involved in the bill we actually first heard about it in a bloomberg article Mm. that i was quoted in talking about some other aspects (laughs) of legislation (laughs) and the folks from rwdsu um josh um Josh from RWDSU in New York was quoted also in the same article. And, um, and in New York City, the labor community had gotten involved pretty early mm. with Council Member Abreu because they are, um, you know, always keeping an eye on what City Hall is yeah. doing. Um, and they are, and they were hearing from their membership about, you know, grievances related wow. to body size and unfair treatment in the workplace. Yeah. So it's actually like the labor, you know, the labor movement actually was on the scene first there yeah. in New York City before we were as like fat rights folks or fat liberation folks. And then we reached out to them and started partnering with them. And um, and so by the time the bill went to hearing, you know, we were working really closely with RWDSU Retail Action, which is um, the Retail Action Pro- Project RAP which is like the um, workers' rights organization for retail employees who are not in unionized mm-hmm. settings. And then um, FLAIR, of course, the Fat Legal Advocacy Rights and Education Project, which is our, um, our partner in the Campaign for Size Freedom, and and us. Um, and so we the bill was already drafted. The bill was already in progress by the time we got involved in New York city. So but where we came in with support was like helping drum up media support, having a rally mm-hmm. at the Capitol, mm-hmm. um, helping organize folks to testify in favor of the bill. Mm-hmm. So we had a great turnout in favor of the bill. Mm-hmm. Um, and then helping just build on the narrative as the bill was going through in New York city mm-hmm. to bring in more support in the city council, to get more constituents, to reach out to their representatives. Um, and to to like to support what council member Abreu was doing in terms of trying to get, you know, 
to, to, to sort of politic from the inside, right? Like, sure. so for bringing all the outside support and then some of the media attention, because what we were really clear about is like, you know, New York is the global city. So even though this is only one specific location, mm. there is a huge opportunity here to create a lot of attention mm-hmm. and to inspire people in a lot of other places. And then we also, with Flair, started, um, you know, working with the the Human Rights Commission to make sure that they were supported in implementing the bill, that things were like, that the voices around the need here were fat-led, because even though height and weight discrimination impacts people of all body sizes, mm-hmm. we know that the opposition to bills about that often comes in around the fat folks like nobody's like sure. i'm so mad tall people want to have extra leg room at something like nobody is like how dare they mm-hmm. right but there are all these you know people who get like pissed off at the at the fatties and so just making sure that like authentic lived experience of fat people was being considered and actual fat people who have the most like access needs and things like that around you know around this kind of systemic discrimination so um so yeah so we love the human rights commission there they um you know they had to take a sort of non-committal stance before the bill had passed but it was clear that they were already preparing for how to implement and and what they could do if the bill didn't pass to create more things from their department and like they just have been really really incredible like truly allies you know that word gets thrown around a lot Mm -hmm. but like truly allies and and there um there are folks in that department with lived experience in larger bodies and so yeah so we're just doing like those educational pieces like let's what can we teach you about intersectional fat rights Mm. things that you might be missing you know things that you might be missing about how this impacts multiply marginalized people in different ways um our our colleagues at flair like things that you might be missing around like how this might show up in legal cases or you know filing a grievance with the human rights commission and so um so yeah so we had these different ways of being involved and then we also got to really be involved in celebrating when the bill passed Mm -hmm. you know just creating some like buzz around that again to have have it be an inspiration point for others And then also, we love the New York City bill because it is New York City and it is millions of people and it doesn't only apply to people who are residents of the city, it also applies to visitors. So it's Mm. millions and millions and millions of people Mm -hmm. that, you know, could experience something and then seek support from the Human Rights Commission there. Um, And that who, who are also hopefully experiencing the ramifications of not experiencing discrimination right that mm-hmm. the, that you what you want from legislation is not just for it to create recourse for people who have experienced terrible stuff sure. what you want is for it to inspire people not to do the terrible stuff yeah. in the first place right to just like be like one of the one of the pushbacks is always like this is going to create a whole bunch of you know expenses for businesses because they're going to have to fight all these lawsuits well they're not going to have to fight a lot of lawsuits if they just stop doing dumb shit right right? if they just if you stop discriminating against people Mm -hmm. you won't be fighting discrimination lawsuits (laughs) you know so anyway but um but so we love the new york city bill and also the New York City bill is not comprehensive enough in terms of legal protections for fat people because employment, housing, and public accommodation are not the only areas of of life mm-hmm. in which people, you know, experience discrimination based on the size of their body. Okay. Fat, short, tall, thin, whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's not only those areas of life. And we know that one of the major areas of life for fat people experiencing discrimination is the medical system, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, some of which can be covered through employment or through public accommodation, but not all of which can. So our hope is that New York State, which is also 
you know, in the process of um, of working on a law there, that the state law can be even more comprehensive and cover even more things than the city law so that New Yorkers in New York City get that additional protection, but also so that statewide it's the protection. Cool. Um, so that's that's the that's the hope. So I think that's a I think that's most of the story in a nutshell. I don't know. You have other specific questions about it? That was great. I <laughs> I was looking at the time. I'm like that was like the most thorough like ten minutes I think that has ever been <laughs> heard or recorded <laughs> um, for this podcast. Well, I think I mean I know at the heart of your question too was like how can other people do this or what what if I want to do this where I live, and you know it's different in every place because every city council doesn't work the same. Or like in San Francisco, it was the board of supervisors, not a city council. So okay. the language is different or the way the, the the entity operates is different, or you're doing it at the state level. And maybe you have a Senate and an assembly, but this other place has a Senate and a house. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the timelines are different. The procedures for introducing bills are like, we have this idea that like, law is universally like i'm just a bill and i'm only a bill (laughs) and that's yes (laughs) but also that's really like hundreds of different ways of doing a bill because your city council and my city council don't do it the same way Mm -hmm. or you know or because you want to do it at the county level and it's different or you know the politics of getting it through are are different depending on the makeup of you know of of the entity that's voting on it it's going to be very different to pass a state law in california because of geography and because of politics and because of population then it's going to be to pass it in vermont which has six hundred fifty thousand people so like there's all of the logistics and then there's all of the politics and then there's all of the sort of like intersectional dynamics around like who will come out and support you know we want to work with um labor folks wherever we can we know that employment is a huge part of the systemic discrimination you know is the local of this union going to be better to work with or the local of some other union Mm. like is it you know Mm -hmm. well like or is it, you know, is it the racial justice folks in that city? Or is it, you know, the queer folks in that city? I mm. love the story of Binghamton because in Binghamton, New York, it was a story that was like queer folks were working on getting some legislation passed and they looked around and said like, who else needs protections? Oh, we should think about body size. Mm-hmm. And so they they brought that in. So I think like there's different ways to do it in in different places. Certainly introducing legislation through a bill is dramatically less expensive than something like a ballot initiative which we're you know we're not really um thinking about too much but at at the campaign for so the campaign for size freedom Mm -hmm. um is like i said it's a project that tries to get people to better understand why we should have legislation related to body size and then supports that legislation all of the legislation we're supporting right now is legislation that um was already introduced when we formed last year. Okay. And so we're working with the bills as they exist or working on um, amendments to the bills to make them stronger. Mm -hmm. And they're already in progress. And then we're looking at where are places that we can help support. There are a few places that we're helping local organizers try to, you know, get ready to work with their representatives to support things there. Um, And the places that are already in progress are Vermont, New York, Massachusetts, New Jersey. Um, There is actively work in Colorado being done. Mm -hmm. And, um, and we have, um, there's also um, a, 
a weight-based bullying bill in Colorado that's already been introduced okay. that um, will be voted on this year. And then there are like there are some other places that I don't really want to start naming those places quite yet. But the thing to do if you're interested and you don't know how to get started mm-hmm. is to sign our petition for the campaign for size freedom, which you can find at nafa.org slash size freedom, okay. N-A-A-F-A dot O-R-G. And um, once you're on that mailing and say yes to the mailing list question, because then when we have alerts, there are people in your area who are telling us they're organizing. Do you mm. want to know more about that? We can, you know, sort your our mailing list by zip code and let you know wow. forever where wherever you are, if we know folks are working on stuff. So that's a great, like, you can get started without us. You don't <laughs> need the campaign. But if you know how the system works where you are, you don't need us. Mm-hmm. But what I will say to folks is the team at Flair is super informed about how these laws work, how they can then get applied in court cases later, um, or like what it's like to try court cases in places where there are not these laws. And they're super informed about the intersections of these laws and disability laws, and like what the laws should look like to be most effective. And it is much better to pass a sound law in the first place than to have to try to do mm-hmm. catch up work mm-hmm. or repair work later. So if you're thinking about if you're listening to the pod mm-hmm. and you're thinking about doing this yourself, I highly recommend that at a minimum you reach out to the folks at Flair, you know, or like us together as the campaign for size freedom to at least touch base and that you look at the model legislation that Flair has written that's available on their website, which is flareproject.org. Because you want the bill drafters in wherever you are to be looking at something that's already solid, already well-researched, has already considered how things have been tested and worked or failed for decades Mm. with disability law and where those Mm -hmm. parallels are and all of that. So like they really are truly that, you know, they have an expertise around this, not just around sort of the politics of passing it, but the mechanics of getting the bill right. Mm -hmm. That I just like, if you want to, like, if you just want to be on your own, you want to be the champion of the bill yourself, like with these organizations that that already have, you know, some media reputation, you know, reputation, or I just, I'm an influencer and I want this to be (laughs) on my cred or whatever, like whatever your thing is, you know, we hope you'll work in partnership with us because we want to work in partnership and coalition with folks. We founded the campaign together. Um, we got some support from Dove to found the campaign. Yeah. And to, you know, to launch the campaign. And we founded it together um, because we felt it was really important for it to be fat led. Um, but we don't want it to be like the NAFA and Flair campaign of making mm. laws for sure. fat people. Like we don't want it. Like, we want it to be the NAFA and Flair work with other organizations, individuals, local activists. Like, so for example, in Massachusetts, where there is a bill pending and where there are two really great sponsors of the bill, um, Senator Roush and Representative Nguyen, really great sponsors. The, there was a hearing in December for, you know, public testimony in support of the bill. We worked with Bigger Bodies Boston to support them mm. in getting people out, to mm-hmm. support them in having, you know, a pizza party to make posters or, mm-hmm. you know, to mm-hmm. to spread the word. We did a planning session together where people could come and ask questions about their text testimony. And, like, that's what we want to do is, like, work with the local activists around mm-hmm. it. Um so if you don't know who the local activists are where you are, then reach out and we'll help you figure 
you figure that out. And if there aren't any where you're like, I live in, you know, I live in a small town outside of Phoenix. Mm-hmm. And if I wanted to do work in Phoenix, there are a few folks I could reach out to. And if I wanted to go to my own city council here, I don't know who that would be. Sure. Right. I'd have to go to my own petition and sort it to see if there's anybody else that is where I am. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I know like a lot of folks who are listening are going to be in those kinds of situations. Like there's nothing wrong with having another small town pass these bills. Mm. Right. It's just something else to build on. It's something else to help build the case when a state wants to do it. Cool. You know, globally, one, there's a city in Iceland that's like one of the only places outside of the U.S. that has this kind of legislation. Um, you could be the Reykjavik Iceland of Kansas. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, so people should also not feel like, oh, it's only if I live in LA, Chicago, Miami. Like, it's not that. It, it will be harder to pass, especially state level legislation in places where there's a lot of dialogue around woke politics. That doesn't necessarily mean it will be impossible, Mm -hmm. but it will be harder in those places. What we ultimately want to see is a federal bill, right? You want to see a change to the U.S. Civil Rights Act Mm -hmm. that adds these as protected classes at a federal level. And just the political landscape of now, that's going to be nearly impossible without more state level wins to prove that mm-hmm. you know that there's a will for it mm-hmm. and that the business community supports it. I mean one of the great things about having Dove support is that it was an example that like it's not all businesses are not saying this will be too expensive and it's a terrible idea. Like a major business is, you know, with a there's all kinds of things to consider about, you know, Dove and Unilever, which is their parent company, and politics and and what that means in liberation and there's all kinds of stuff to consider. But from a perspective of passing these laws, what you can't argue is no major business would support this because a major business is supporting it, right? Can you tell Um, us more about that partnership and what that looked like? So they reached out to you. They reached out to us. Dove did a lot of work in support of the Crown Act. And for folks who are listening who might not know what that is, um, that is the federal legislation also passed at at the state level and municipal level in many places, but ultimately pursued federally um, to protect folks from discrimination based on natural hairstyles for folks of African descent. Mm -hmm. And the Crown Act was... um, you know, they worked on it with the National Urban League and a couple of the respectable social justice or civil rights organizations, mm-hmm. establishment organizations and organizations with more resource than we have in our organization or our entire movement, really. Um, but, you know, but folks who are really doing like real on the ground work, mm-hmm. right? We also saw some changes at Dove as a brand when they were doing that work. Mm. Um, you know, more representation of like more representation of lots of different kinds of black folks, okay. especially women and femmes in their, you know, D- Dove's a beauty company, right? So more focus on women and femmes than on their men's skincare line or whatever they have for guys. Um, so anyway, so we, we saw that they were doing that work. We spent a lot of time vetting Dove because we wanted to know, like, is this like, do y'all have like a stretch mark cream coming or something? So you just want to <laughs> win over the fat people? Like what's, what's going on here? And of course, like it's no secret to folks who um, work in fat activist spaces that, you know, that Dove was one of the brands that people feel co-opted body positivity. Can you tell me more about that? Well, Dove had a campaign uh, about 20 years ago. Yeah. Um, 
called the Real Beauty Campaign. Mm-hmm. And it was very similar to what happened like last month when what was that brand last month that put out the they put out this ad that was like sexy is a feeling, not a body type. And then yeah. they had like, you know, a size range of, you know, three dress sizes or whatever right. in the pictures. I can't think of what, what brand Victoria's that was, Secret? but okay, I'll put it. At the it intro. wasn't Victoria's Secret, but it was like same taste, different smell, or whatever that expression is. <laughs> it was like <laughs> it was like that, except twenty years ago. Yes, and and twenty years ago, that looked more revolutionary to more people. It didn't look revolutionary to people who were seriously committed to like radical body positive mm-hmm. po- politics, but to people who were just exposed to mainstream media, it was revolutionary for mainstream media. Yes, yeah, so it was, was like. Oh, Dove's Real Beauty Project with people who are 30 instead of 20 and people who are size 12 instead of size 2 and people who are, you know, like, and people who are a few different shades of skin tones. Like, it was a low, the bar was so low (laughs) that they were impressing people with a really, really dramatic shift in diversity. And also... A lot of people, including me, like I was literally part of um of like an alternative campaign, but it was like a um it was a whole like photo campaign that was like, let's actually show some actual mm-hmm. age diversity and body diversity and disabled folks and trans folks and mm-hmm. like you know all in the same, not just sort of like a barely different variation <laughs> of the beauty standard. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you know, but a lot of people felt like does talking that body positivity talk so they can sell their soap. Yes, and and they were not the only ones. And also, it should be noted that most brands were just not talking that body positivity talk at all. Mm-hmm. So, there, you know, you can come in on that a few different ways, right? Like, you can come in on that of like, well, that makes them even more insidious. Or you can say, like, they're not getting it right, but they're trying to do something that other brands aren't even trying to do. And we, so we were somewhere in the middle of that because I was, oh, Beyond Beauty. The thing I was part of was called Beyond Beauty. So like, I am someone who's like literally part of a protest campaign when Dove's Real Beauty thing came out. But I am also someone who was a high school teacher. Yeah. When Dove's Beauty campaign, you know, came out Mm -hmm. and they provided some tools and curriculum that had things like, like, I remember this video I used to use with my students that was all like showing how things are manipulated behind the scenes to get to a billboard or to get to an ad in a magazine. And that was like not that far from a time when magazines were still lying and saying they weren't airbrushing things or weren't manipulating photos or whatever. So there are ways in which like, if you're just like straight anti-capitalist dove is all it's it's capitalism right Mm -hmm. like it's still dove (laughs) it's they are still a brand they are still trying to sell things you know and so like you have to weigh out that sort of like "Mm, do the ends justify the means of like if we get money from dove and that helps us launch this campaign that changes laws to make fat people's lives better is it worth it or is that blood money (laughs) like where we Mm -hmm. came down on it was um we saw some real change at dove and we we had some belief based on their work with Crown that they were going to continue to, you know, support things, whether it was impacting their marketing or not. Like, full disclosure, Dove also has a black hair care line. So yeah. were they just purely invested in Crown because we love black folks and want their nappy hair not to be discriminated against? Or also, we want to sell them stuff for their nappy hair. Like, you can, it's always a question whenever any kind of brand mm-hmm. is involved. But we did a lot of vetting and we ultimately decided like this is a good opportunity. There's um, never been this kind of corporate funding for Fat Lib. And, you know, again, some people would be like, and there never should have been. You blew it. <laughs> um, but at the same time, like it created resource in a way that the movement has never had. And so 
we were happy with the support of the launch because they really did put us in the driver's seat. It was really sort of like, we're only going to do this if you let us figure out what the campaign looks like. Okay. Um, and if you let us lead on things like talking about the legislation, like we're not going to, this is not going to be like the, the dove act for, for <laughs> fat rights or whatever. Like we're sure. not going, we're not going to have that. So, they also funded the first, um, as far as we can tell, the first fellowship of its kind anywhere for fat liberation at Flair. Um, and that the Flair, um, size freedom fellow, you know, works on supporting Flair in all the things that they do for fat legal rights in addition to working on this campaign. Okay. So, so there was like a, you know, there was sort of like, this is, I think it's been a good partnership. You know, I think it's been a good partnership for launching and then we'll see where we go from here. You know, we've been working with them for a year mm -hmm. and uh, a little over a year. We launched the campaign right around the same time as the New York hearing, actually. Mm -hmm. So, um, um, and, you know, I think we'll, we'll see where it goes and we'll, it also makes other, companies and foundations and small businesses and things like that interested in fat liberation okay. and um and again like it's difficult to walk that line of like well is this a, a right partnership is this a partnership that does more harm than good is this a partnership that does more good than harm like where how do we balance all that stuff out and i think we kind of take it on a case-by-case -case basis yeah. um but it was a good for us it was a good starting point awesome. um you know it came aubrey's aubrey gordon's new book came out around the same time which had like a whole chapter that was like dove is the company that co-opted positivity mm. and i was like oh my god everybody's <laughs> gonna be mad and um because everybody who didn't know this because they weren't paying attention or don't know the story of the real beauty or whatever you know they're just gonna be mad but but it was part of the reason they came to us was they were refreshing some of the research or they were doing new research around um they focus on women and girls and they're increasingly inclusive of what women and girls means in terms of like non-binary femmes and stuff like that but they still use the language women and girls most of the time um and they but they do all this self-esteem stuff around yeah. girls yeah. and some of that research is really important research it's hard for us to get that kind of quality research because that kind of quality research mm -hmm. is really expensive mm -hmm. and so we're always up against these like obesity awareness groups mm -hmm. in quotation marks that have tremendous funding from diet pharma and from you know weight loss surgeons and blah 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 that have all these you know stats they can drop and new reports coming out and all the things about the cost of obesity scary oh the cost of obesity the cost of obesity and so part of Dove coming to us wanting to work on this was their latest report, which was what they were calling the real cost of beauty standards, mm. where they were doing like sort of economically quantifying how much hurting people with beauty standards, mm -hmm. including body size standards, was costing us. And I have mixed feelings about that because I think the human cost and the economic cost should not always be conflated. Right. And at the same time, having those stats to fight some of the other stats, mm -hmm. like, actually, hey, actually, it's not, you know, obesity that's cost these millions and millions of dollars. It's anti-fatness that causes sure. cost these millions and millions of dollars. Like, that I also think, you know, has been really valuable. Yeah. So that was a great segue. I was going to go from Dove to like obesity in quotation marks industry. So <laughs> let's talk. <laughs> yeah. So uh, out of some of it, I remember. Shake's fist. Yeah. The obesity action committee or coalition or something, but tell us mm -hmm. where everything stands right now. 
So everything stands on Ozempic right now, as is no great surprise to your listeners, I'm sure. Um, And when I say Ozempic, I kind of mean like all of those drugs in that class, which just like Novo Nordisk beat everybody else to the punch (laughs) with with trending and marketing around it. And it's going to be called Ozempic all the time, oh, even though yeah, that's a good point. really the weight loss version of that drug is not Ozempic. Yeah. It is Wagovi and really then Eli Lilly, which is another pharmaceutical company yeah. has their own. And like, there's all these other things that they're all actually called. And also like you just call all of the um, <laughs> acetaminophen Tylenol. You oh. call it all that. And you call all the painkillers Tylenol. Mm. It's going to Ozempic is that right. So, um, to you know to most people in the public and so a lot stands with those drugs right now because they have the media's attention they have the public's attention and they have policymakers attention it has been a long game that those drug companies and other folks in the quote-unquote weight management industry which should be referred to as the weight cycling industry, but that's by management. They mean we're going to keep trying to make you smaller. And when that doesn't work, Mm -hmm. you're going to get bigger again. And then we're going to try again. Mm -hmm. That's weight cycling folks. And so the weight cycling industry, and I think, um, you know, I think Deb Burgard for regularly reminding me about the care with that language, (laughs) the weight cycling industry (laughs) has had a very long game plan to get these drugs FDA approved and to get them covered by Medicaid. Okay. Um, to be covered by Medicaid and Medicare. And so, and, you know, and private insurance too, but like getting the government money or, or the national health system in the, you know, in, mm. in England, mm-hmm. that's been a not that secret plan. <laughs> like it's pretty clear that that's what their playbook is if you're watching, but who's watching the playbook of pharmaceutical companies <laughs> behind the scenes mm-hmm. other than, you know, some researchers and scholars and activists and folks like you're not just like oh family feuds over let me read a bunch of (laughs) articles about eli Lilly and how they plan to take over the you know but i think we should approach all pharmaceutical companies with the same skepticism that we should have learned from the opioid epidemic and and should have been approaching those pharmaceutical companies with in the first place Mm -hmm. and so there's this juggernaut around these drugs and the obesity advocacy organizations, which present themselves as grassroots organizations are mostly funded by organizations like this, Mm -hmm. like by businesses like this, by weight loss surgeons, you know, professional organizations and by directly by Novo Nordisk, which is the manufacturer of Ozempic um, and Eli Lilly, which is the manufacturer of Majaro. And, um, and, you know, there and and by commercial diet industry folks that you recognize, like WWW, <laughs> uh, which yes. you can probably tell from my tone how I feel about that. Um, and so, like, you have an organization like you, you know, you mentioned the Obesity Action Coalition, and they are one of the ones that's been sort of like my pet obesity awareness organization because of um, not just their involvement with all this stuff, but also their tremendously deep involvement with the whale last year. And so I, I just have all the bones to pick with them in all the ways, you know, you can just look like you can look at their annual report and they will tell you we had a $7 million budget. Yeah, we had an $8 million budget, $7 million of it came from diet companies, diet pharma and and, and surgical, you know, support organizations. Yeah. And so that is what it is. But but one of the things it is, is 
uh, astroturfing a lot. Yeah. Where, like, you know, astroturfing is, like, when an organization presents itself as neutral, but Mm -hmm. then there's actually, you know, some whole other plan behind it. It's like the, you know... It's like the amusement park guy under the old man mask and Scooby-Doo, right? <laughs> it's that. And, and it's so much that from these obesity awareness organizations, or they would say, they would say, they would refer to themselves as support organizations for Americans living with the chronic illness of obesity. The problem for many of us who are in fat advocacy is the classification of obesity as a disease in the first place is problematic and is presented as universally supported by all medical and health professionals and researchers, which is in fact not true. Mm -hmm. You know, there's like a, there's a, a large segment and growing segment. I think of those professionals, um, who actually think like, mm, we're not doing that right at all. Like we, we all think BMI is terrible. It's all based on BMI. We're not doing any of it right. We need to be thinking about weight neutral and individualized care for people. And so like there's this presentation of obesity as a disease, which we're all supposed to be grateful for. We're supposed to be grateful that finally yeah. we are talking about it as the complicated disease mm-hmm. that it is. And that is supposed to create relief in me as a fat person because now no one is blaming me mm-hmm. for being fat because instead they are sympathetic to the fact that I have this lifelong disease that I'm going to have to battle with treatment and, and, and drugs and maybe surgery and like all these other things. And people are going to be sympathetic to that now mm-hmm. instead of um, biased. Right. Well, that hasn't really borne out. Right? <laughs> it's not like obesity was declared a disease and then all the weight stigma went away. Like that's not how any of this has worked. Um, and also, You have to ask questions when all of the people, or at least all the organizations that are telling you that it's a complicated disease that needs treatment and that the government should be paying for that treatment, are telling you that through marketing tools that have been developed by pharmaceutical companies for them, or funded by pharmaceutical companies for them, Mm -hmm. or funded by Weight Watchers, or funded by, you know, you have to ask the questions. You have to take the mask off the Scooby-Doo villain, you know, (laughs) and then see, like, do you still want to let this guy run the amusement park now? Probably you don't, or maybe you at least have some questions, right? And so I I end rant for now. Like, please ask some more targeted questions because I'll just keep going off about these organizations. <laughs> well, I mm-hmm. would love your thoughts on the Queen Latifah, It's Bigger Than Me. I have not addressed it anywhere just because it, one, it breaks my heart, but also two, it's just, so much of that intersection between blackness and fatness and shame and it's Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. much well and this is why it feels like a good place to discuss it here with you with somebody who i know has that lens who does work around that who understands the complications of that and is you know hopefully attracting listeners who really want to learn more about that and be thoughtful about those intersections because on the one hand it is hard for me to talk about like from oprah on down right like all the black folks associated because i was also like oprah and and like people just being like oh she's taking ozempic for her health okay (laughs) yeah but that's also a hell of a lot of free advertising for weight watchers Mm -hmm. which she is a stakeholder in Mm -hmm. right and so these are all complicated things right and it is like there's so much scrutiny on black women and our bodies 
And especially if you are darker black woman in, in your body, a black, black woman or femme, there's so much scrutiny. And also, I don't want to give folks a pass because of that. Mm. So on the one hand, I don't want to listen to a lot of sort of like generic body positive folks who don't, under, you know, especially folks who are privileged in their bodies. I don't want to listen to a whole bunch of like, you know, thin white ladies and their like white feminism take on Oprah or mm-hmm. Queen Latifah or any of these um, celebrities. Um, hell, even Anthony Anderson, he out there advertising these diabetes stuff that yeah. is funded by Novo Nordisk, right? Yeah. Like even, I'll, even him and he's problematic in all kinds of ways. I still don't <laughs> want to listen to it from certain commentators, but uh, I do want yeah. us to have thoughtful dialogue about it yeah. um, with folks who actually do understand the nuances so that other folks can be learning from that dialogue. Mm. And so I feel much more comfortable talking about this here than in some settings. I'm a black woman myself. I have privilege as, you know, being light skinned and being mixed race. Um, but I've still been black for, you know, 50 years <laughs> almost mm. in, and fat for 40 of those or whatever. I am the spokesperson for the world's oldest fat rights organization so there's that part too and uh documented fat rights organization we always make that distinction because i know who else was doing fat rights work before this organization was founded mm-hmm. um but like as a formal organized thing we've been around a hell of a long time and i inherit all of the best parts of that legacy in addition to dealing with the other parts and so like i've got all these different points of entry into the conversation i feel like that's different than some of the people who are just flapping their lips about whatever they think about <laughs> Queen Latifah, right? And so, so having said that, very long disclaimer, Queen Latifah is a paid spokesperson for Novo Nordisk. This is not the same thing as like Queen Latifah's founded a health organization for black women Mm. or Queen, you know, or Queen Latifah is just speaking from her own personal lived experience. Mm. Um, And the It's Better Than Me campaign is a campaign in which everyone is a paid spokesperson. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people deserve to be paid for their labor. I'm paid for my labor. Mm-hmm. That's new. That's new. That's very new at, at NAFA yeah. or in Fat Liberation Movement in general. Uh-huh. Right? I'm paid for my labor. We pay the speakers that come on our webinar series. So it's not that it's inherently bad that people are paid, but it's just that, you know, you want that disclosed and you want to make sure people understand that. Mm-hmm. So they are taking it into account with what they are hearing and what bias people might have might you be more likely to say obesity is a chronic disease that needs and people need to be supported in seeking treatments such as drugs if you are being paid by the drug company Mm -hmm. might you be more likely to say that right we should at least be thoughtful about those framings and like inquisitive I would say skeptical, but at the minimum inquisitive about who is carrying these messages to us. And it's not an accident that Novo Nordisk is suddenly hiring a bunch of Black people. And it's not a commitment to Blackness. It's not like Novo Nordisk (laughs) had an awakening and learned (laughs) that they were... This is not like their... their, reparations project right (laughs) this is not that this is like oh shit we can make a whole bunch more money if we get black folks roped into this especially if we can get insurance companies or the government to pay for it Mm -hmm. because then we don't even have to care about black people's economic viability Mm -hmm. because we can get somebody else to pay for it for the black people Mm -hmm. and you know what'll be even more effective if we tell them they're racist if they don't Mm -hmm. right and so Mm -hmm. it's increasingly popular for sort of like obesity experts yeah. in, in quotation marks or advocates for people 
with living obesity. with the chronic de- yes. disease of obesity all of this in it, it like th- if you're listening and you can't see me on a video like i'm air <laughs> quoting that like i'm getting cramps in my fingers air <laughs> quoting over here <laughs> It's becoming increasingly popular for those folks to say, if we care about Black and brown communities, we have to provide accessible treatment for obesity to those Mm -hmm. communities because obesity is killing people. Mm -hmm. Now, from the counterpoint argument that I would make is, or anti-fatness is killing those people, Mm -hmm. and we have to provide accessible health care around all diseases, conditions, medical needs, not just around obesity treatment, mm-hmm. maybe not at, around obesity treatment at all. But if we're going to, if we, if we can't strike that from the record, if we can't get obesity is a disease, you know, off the record from the World Health Organization on down to the American Medical Association, we can't make that change. At a minimum, can we at least get them to say, let's provide accessible health care to the black and brown people for all of the things? Mm to the fat people for all of the things because right now what they're saying is let's provide it for obesity care right well you don't care about my health then if you care about my health you will not only be advocating for me to have obesity care as the only form of health care i have mm-hmm. that's ridiculous if you care about my health you want me to have all that that's my, my i have an earache <laughs> i need something for that <laughs> it's not ozempic <laughs> right yeah. and, so, and you know and it's not and it's not something that costs 1200 dollars that you make mostly profit off of. sure you know it's these eardrops that i can't get at 15 dollars, and i need insurance to cover that right and so you will give it to me in my black and brown community or in my fat body or in my fat body in my black and brown community mm-hmm. if you only care when it's about the most lucrative diseases mm. You only care when it's about obesity mm-hmm. because you can sell those expensive ass drugs and you can sell those expensive ass surgeries and you can sell and you can sell those other weight management products that you just made a public apology weight loss uh, weight watchers yeah. for admitting that you've been wrong for decades yeah. but you still going to do it uh-huh. for anybody who doesn't want the other things mm-hmm. right if you cared about my health you would not only care when it's in those areas hmm. So this narrative that is coming from some of the most prominent and most quoted obesity experts in the media around like it's it's a form of racism that we don't care. It's systemic injustice that we don't care enough to treat black people for their chronic disease of obesity. You know, that's why they have diabetes. No, it's not. What about the thin black diabetics? You yeah. want to try to help them too? Right. right? What, if, how, what if racism is the reason we have diabetics? What you going to do about that, mm-hmm. Ozempic? <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, like, it's just like, it's all preposterous to me. And also, most people haven't been exposed to this kind of questioning of, we love Queen Latifah and she's just trying to get healthy. Yeah. Or- we want her to be healthy because we want the queen to live a long time. <laughs> you and I, T.Y. <laughs> and, you know, and we just, like, we want we want her to be healthy. We want her to live. And it's her personal choice if she wants to lose weight. And you're just mm-hmm. a hater if you think that, you know, if you say anything else about that. And it's like, I'm not a hater. Mm-hmm. You know why? Because I don't hate thin people. If she wants to be thinner, mm-hmm. or if she chooses thinness, I and mean, I know you talk about this in your work, if she chooses to pursue thinness or thinnerness yeah. as a survival tactic, 
in this world where she has to survive, you know? And Ashley Marie Preston was on one of the Is Bigger Than Me um, mm. episodes talking about this. Mm-hmm. I, I I admire Ashley's activism in so many ways, right? We don't agree on like mm-hmm. weight loss surgery as, as saving grace or, or that, you know, that everybody who has these things are being... Um, you know, shamed about having made these choices. I think that sometimes that's true. And I also think there's a constructed narrative from um, the obesity organizations mm-hmm. that that's true. But like, I, you know, she talks about this too. Like you, I made a survival choice. If you're thinking of it as a survival choice, like you get to make that choice, but I still want all of us to be asking questions about why you had to yeah, and how we are creating an environment that forces other people to make that choice. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I want, all of these folks to be healthy. I don't think it's the healthiest relationship to be in to be in a relationship with Novo Nordisk. Right. But but it might be because you're eating off that, right? <laughs> like you're because they're because they're paying you. <laughs> so the money spends. It's the sort of like health and maybe beauty standard and um and economic uh, d- like parallel of the sort of like do we love Hattie McDaniel because mm. she was doing what she had to do or are we mm. mad at Hattie McDaniel because she became a millionaire off playing a maid or whatever like i mm-hmm. yes and no it's complicated all of this mm-hmm. it's all very complicated and i don't want to direct all of my concerns about the systemic issues to the individuals who are making tough choices within fucked up systems mm-hmm. Like, I don't want to waive accountability for them, but I also don't want to, A, make their choices for them, B, enable other people to not see them as, like, multifaceted, nuanced humans making those choices. Totally. Right. Which is definitely the reason I haven't brought it up anywhere, you know, on social media. Yeah. 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 So, like, I'm still going to watch Living Single. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not going to boycott Queen Latifah because she's doing this campaign. No. But when the campaign comes up, I'm going to say the real things about the campaign. Totally. You know? And I'm going to hope that we are building a world where she could be a paid spokesperson for NAFA and make the same kind of money because mm. there's enough support for, you know, for NAFA and No Lose and Fat Rose and ASDA and like all, <laughs> of, you know, and all of these local organizers or local, you know, event planners. I mean, you know, I didn't start as an activist. I started by throwing a hip hop party in Oakland. Yes, you did. Rose. We haven't even got into that. Um, I We haven't. No. Hold on. We might have to do a sequel. I'm like, I, the the four hour episode of making it awkward. <laughs> um, I came to this as like I was a high school administrator by day, and I was a hip hop nightclub promoter by night, and I was actually a nerd throwing a hip hop party, so that was already weird enough. <laughs> and then you know, starting this like fat black, mostly you know, mostly black and and POC centered p- hip hop party in Oakland. And why did I bring that up right now specifically? Because. Because, because there are all kinds of different ways we could be like funding fat joy and funding mm-hmm. fat um, participation in community mm-hmm. and like funding fat accessibility and funding fat things that don't have to be saving fat people from fat. Totally. You know, it yeah. doesn't have to be like, you know, like hopefully we're building a world where more people get to make the choice of like, I I made this really, you know, I made this really dope ass um, you know, 
20 minute mini documentary video and it was for four fat people living their best lives and it was not underwritten by Novo Nordisk mm-hmm. like some of those things aren't Novo Nordisk underwrote one of the fat films that was at the Tribeca Film Festival last year I and saw that and a lot that. of people saw that film and did not know it was underwritten by them oh. so we're celebrating this oh yay this is so great look at this fat visibility and it's fat visibility funded by Novo Nordisk mm-hmm. and maybe other people are okay with that I'm not so what I want to see is enough funding for us to make some other videos that are not that right and hire some other people and pay some other people so we can have you know the fat fashion show and the fat pool party and the fat you know and and the, you know and the things that are just like genuinely genuine representation of lots of different kind of people with different kinds of bodies and different kinds of needs too it doesn't all have doesn't all have to be exclusively fat but like that fat folks get to do stuff mm-hmm. be paid well for doing stuff and the only people paying them well for doing stuff are not the obesity action coalition <laughs> and you know and the drug companies yeah. and the weight watchers ad you know like yeah. i just just like actresses had have to, had to and have to make those decisions am i going to play this maid or am i going to not work mm-hmm. today's fat black actresses are having to, am i going to be in this you know commercial for weight watchers or not work i mm-hmm. want them to have something else you know i want them to have something else so so how can so people we can, get involved with nafa and give you money well, you can give us money any time of the year um, at our website, nafa.org, um, and it's under the give area. And you can donate directly to us. You can, if you got it like that, you can give us stock, you can put us in your will, you can, you know, all of the things that you can do to give to a charitable organization. Mm-hmm. And we are a 501c3 charity. You can also, if we are not your jam or whatever, <laughs> or whatever people say now, you can meet people through us by attending our mm. virtual events, mm-hmm. like come to our webinar, learn about other people, fund them directly if you don't want to fund us. Mm. You know, you, mm-hmm. you saw, you know, you saw us talking to somebody on our webinar that you think is doing really amazing stuff. Just go support them. Mm-hmm. Like, we want your support. Of course, we want to. I mean, like, I'll be I want to get keep getting paid too. like, <laughs> I want to keep having a job and not being a volunteer as I was for most of the years that I've worked for NAFA, mm-hmm. even when I was the full time board chair. And you know, like, I don't talk about like my money only as a like, signal to the universe that i want to keep getting money but also like but it is actually like being able to pay an executive director at a fat rights organization is building infrastructure for the movement it's not just about like that means tigers can pay her phone bill it's also about like that means nafa can apply for different grants to get more funding to do more things Mm -hmm. that means nafa can expand to hire more people to have more people getting paid to do this labor and so um you know so like all of that stuff is actually important so i hope that folks feel inspired to fund our work and also I still live in fat community when I'm not working for NAFA. Mm-hmm. And if there's something else in fat community that inspires you, you know, if you have the means, buy from the designers that are doing, you know, ethical, ethically made clothing for fat people so that they can keep doing that. So we can have more of that, mm-hmm. right? You don't have to, if you don't have the means and you need to get your stuff from Shein or Walmart or whoever, like do what you have to do. You know how to manage your life. Mm-hmm. But if you have the means, 
you know, get that $300 dress from the independent designer who hand sewed it mm-hmm. so that they can keep doing that work. Right. And, and do that across the board, the, the butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker <laughs> of, of, of fat community. And especially when those fat folks are from multiply marginalized backgrounds and identities, because then they have even more things stacked against them economically. Right. So, so like, yes, please give us money. Oh, you know, please. Um, but also, do that in community with intention in all the ways. And then, you know, whatever time you have, whatever you support, the things that you click like on, the things that you put comments on, the things that you share, you know, all of that builds exposure. You know, likes beget likes. I used to always tell the women who modeled for my nightclub, so like everything we post because then more people see it. That is all still true, especially as social media platforms continue to discriminate against larger bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of, you know, people getting shadow banned or things getting taken down, right. accounts getting closed for, for violations that are not violations. Cause the reason your picture had more skin was not because you were more naked. It's just because mm-hmm. you literally have more skin because mm-hmm. you have a larger body, like, or more skin showing or whatever. And so like all of those, all of the support things, you know, like we have virtual events right now. They're all free. We'd like to keep them free. We can only do that if we have funding to keep them free. Mm -hmm. Uh, But we have lots of different kinds of virtual events. Some of them are more educational. Some of them are like this, just like dialogues with fat people we love. Um, Some of them are a little more social or interactive with breakout room time. So you can meet other fat people there. And, you know, we have a wide variety of things, especially during fat liberation month which is in august but we have virtual events all year and even as the world continues to be you know increasingly open and interactive in real life we are going to keep doing lots of virtual events so that folks who can't or won't Mm. do real life stuff Mm -hmm. have those options still where a lot of other places stopped doing virtual events and just went back to real life we're going to keep doing them and and then i just want to say this because somebody said it on our webinar last week comedian chris grace was with us on our webinar and i asked him for a final thought and he said date fat people and i just (laughs) want to say like Yes, Mm -hmm. yes, because it's not just date fat people. It's also like, like be with fat people and not, not only in like weight loss pursuit spaces, Mm -hmm. you know, like go to fat events. If you're going to events, you know, and do whatever you need to do to feel good about going to events and then, but make them fat ones too. Um, and take other people and have other people spend their money and also get show thin friends to spend some money (laughs) if we're having a fundraiser and you only share it with the other fat people Mm. then we are only (laughs) taking money out of the pockets of the other fat people right if you if you date thin people (laughs) they should be fun you are fat and you date thin people and they're not funding fat liberation movement (laughs) why are you giving them some nanny Uh right because like we have to we just have to do like a lot of um i just want us to to be really intentional about supporting those who support us back nice. that's what i'm saying that's the point right it was beautiful and so if i loved can, it yeah thank you so yeah if you're, with your time with your money with your attention you know um all of all of the things Tigress, this was fantastic. I am so grateful. And as you said, there's still so much to talk about from both of our time in Oakland. So I would love to have you back. Yes, I would love to do that again. Okay. And uh, yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. (laughs) And um, thank you all for spending this hour with us. Yes. 
Thanks again to Tigris. As you could tell, we could have talked forever. I hope to bring her back soon. You can check out the links she mentioned in the show notes. Next week's episode will be with gender-affirming surgeon Blair Peters from OHSU. We talk about BMI limits in surgery and why these surgeries have limits when others, like hysterectomies, do not. We also talk about why some surgeons have BMI limits while others don't. It's another conversation that will have a follow-up episode, and I'll seek your feedback at makingitawkwardpod at gmail.com. If you're liking what you're hearing, we'd love a rating or review. Until next time, keep making it awkward. This has been Making It Awkward. I'm Jessica Wilson. You can watch this episode on YouTube and Spotify. It's a production of The Body Politic and supported by Patreon members and the legacy of Sacramento Outboard Services. All of the social media clips you see are done by Jen Jacobs, who also edits and mixes the show. Music